traitor? $250 million is a lot of money. What do you think of that? It's our democracy, you asshole! This is Michael Cohen, and you're listening to The Mayor Culpa Investigates. On Monday, private equity billionaire and former Trump inaugural committee chairman Tom Barrack pled not guilty to federal charges that he illegally lobbied the White House on behalf of the United Arab Emirates while the former guy was president. Reuters is reporting that Tom Barrack, chairman of the Trump inauguration and longtime friend of the former president, has just pled not guilty to charges of violating federal lobbying laws and working as a foreign agent for the UAE in a Brooklyn federal court this morning. His plea means the case is headed for trial. Barrack's arrest is quite possibly the single most consequential of all Trump's inner circle. In the octopus of conflicted relationships that long defined the Trump presidency, Barrack sits at the very center as its daddy long legs. He is connected to everyone and everything from the selection of Paul Manafort to run Trump's campaign to the morass of corruption flowing from the Trump inaugural committee. This case was brought against Tom Barrack specifically under the federal statute that names him as an alleged agent of a foreign power. It's closer to calling somebody a spy than it is to calling them a lobbyist. This is the same section of the penal code under which Maria Butina was charged. Do you remember her? She was charged for acting as a secret foreign agent in our country. Over the next hour and in episodes to follow, we're going to focus on Barrick as the case unfolds. Family untangling his myriad of conflicts and breaking down his crimes. It's my belief that Barrick's arrest will be the ultimate downfall of the Trump family. Trump goes around the room and he peppers everyone with questions. And Lara Trump, that's the wife of his son, Eric, could be sitting there, this person said, with her sorority sisters. And he's likely to ask them a question of what they think he should do on some issue of foreign policy and just as likely to take their advice as his actual foreign policy advisor. So what you have here and what Bolton was alluding to is kind of a perfect storm for this to happen in the Trump West Wing. So here's what we know right now. A seven-count indictment accuses Barrick, Aspen resident Matthew Grimes, 27 years old, and United Arab Emirates National Rashid Sultan Rashid al-Malik al-Shahi, 43, of acting and conspiring to act as agents of the UAE in an attempt to influence the policy positions of the Trump administration. Just how easy it would be for someone like Tom Barrick or anyone really to get in the president's orbit and influence him in major ways. Barrick, the founder of investment firm Colony Capital, and a staunch Trump ally and friend is also facing charges of obstruction of justice and making false statements. Barrick was released from jail last Friday after posting, get a load of this folks, a whopping $250 million bond, which was secured by $5 million in cash, some $21 million in securities, and Barrick's California home. Prosecutors argued in a detention memo that Barrick was a serious flight risk as he holds a Lebanese citizenship and has access to a private jet. During the 2016 campaign, Barrick allegedly had language inserted into one of Trump's speeches at the request of a UAE official. We'll work with our Gulf allies to develop a positive energy relationship as part of our anti-terrorism strategy. We'll work with them. Beyond the current charges facing Barrick, he has long left a trail of shady personal dealings that have yet to be unraveled. 
As Trump's inaugural committee chairman, Barrick oversaw a record-shattering fundraising drive of $107 million, including at least one, a mysterious $1 million donation from an unknown funder routed through a limited liability company. There's so many people who were uh, being paid by different varying interests, in some cases foreign governments, who had access to Trump. I mean, it was sort of the wild west of ethics here. Uh, but, you know, keep in mind that Michael Flynn was also uh, a foreign agent at the time of the transition, paid for by uh, the Turkish government. So it was almost like a foreign policy for purchase early in the Trump years. In the heat of Trump's 2016 election, Trump's one-time campaign chair, Paul Manafort, and Barrick set up now-defunct pro-Trump super PAC called Rebuilding America Now, which spent $21 million to support Trump. The PAC faced allegations and investigations into whether they laundered illegal foreign money into the United States to support Trump in 2016, and whether they illegally coordinated with the Trump campaign using firewall entities. Trump's propensity, and it began during the transition, I think that's been pretty clearly documented, uh, to, to ignore normal chattels to have friends, members of his family uh, engage with foreign governments. In 2018, federal prosecutors reportedly began probing whether foreign nationals illegally funneled donations to Trump's inaugural committee and the pro-Trump super PAC in an effort to gain influence over American policy. I mean, the proposition here is pretty scary that you could have for a few billion dollars, which is what it looks like um, the UAE put into his accounts, a abrupt shift in Middle Eastern policy, an ending of alliances with Qatar, uh, Qatar, sorry, and then suddenly uh, a, a presidential, an administration taking a completely different approach in Middle Eastern affairs with limited insight into why or what the actual uh, end game will be, and all because of money. The inquiry reportedly examined whether foreign nationals from Middle Eastern nations, including Qatar, Saudi Arabia and the United Arab Emirates funneled money through straw donors to disguise their donations to Trump. Major funders to the Rebuilding America Now super PAC included Cerberus Capital Management CEO Steven Feinberg, the private equity executive whose firm actually trained members of an elite Saudi squad that killed Jamal Khashoggi. This strike team, quote unquote, this 15 member strike team that jumped Khashoggi at the Saudi consulate in Turkey back in October um, and then ended up killing him and dismembering his body uh, was trained or at least worked with a U.S. company, the Tier 1 Group, which is based out of Arkansas. They do kind of special forces, weapons, and tactical training. Throughout his presidency, Trump could scarcely have been a more accommodating ally to the Emirates and to Saudi Arabia, whose crown prince, Mohammed bin Salman, was a protege of Prince Mohammed bin Zayed. I'm seeing what's happening. It's like a revolution in a very positive way. And I want to just uh, thank you on behalf of a lot of people. And I want to congratulate you. Uh, you've done really a spectacular job. Trump's first foreign trip was to Saudi Arabia. He tore up the Iran deal hated by Gulf Arab leaders. Of Trump's 10 presidential vetoes, five dealt with issues of concern to the Emirates and Saudi Arabia. More significantly, he overrode Congress's attempt to end American military involvement in Yemen, 
where Saudi Arabia and the Emirates were fighting on one side of a brutal civil war. As you know, Saudi Arabia is a big purchaser of American products and especially of America military equipment. We make the best in the world by far. According to Bob Woodward's book, Rage, Trump boasted that he saved the Saudi crown prince after the murder of Saudi dissident Jamal Khashoggi elicited widespread outrage. Here you have a foreign leader who presided, who sent a hit team to preside over the kidnapping, um, torture, murder and dismemberment of a Washington Post columnist who was a permanent resident of the United States who then lied about it, who didn't return Jamal's body to his family and still hasn't. Um, and then our president boasts about having defended the person who, who ordered that torture, murder, dismemberment. So today, I welcome former SDNY prosecutor and frequent mayor culpa guest, Ellie Honig, to help with the illegal analysis of this complex case. So let's listen now to this conversation. All right, so Ellie, it's been my opinion that Tom Barrick is the single most consequential person of Trump's inner circle to have been indicted because of the way he crosses not only with Trump, but with the Trump children and with Jared as well as the Trump businesses. Now, this guy could be lethal to all of them. If you would, discuss this with my listeners. So it's interesting, Michael, you certainly have a better perspective than I do or most do about where Barrick sort of fits into the Trump universe. But let me let me give you this breakdown. This is a this is a really tough indictment for Tom Barrick. I mean, first of all, let's start with first things first. It's a federal indictment. It's not coming out of my old office, the Southern District of New York. It's across the river, the Eastern District of New York, which is in Brooklyn, which is a fantastic, superb prosecutor's office. You know, we talk about conviction rates, right? A lot of that's by plea. But I mean, upwards of 95% of all federal indictments result in convictions, most by guilty plea, some by trial. Um, He's charged with serious crimes here. He's charged with a foreign lobbying violation, which he appears to be dead to rights on. Did he lobby the U.S. government? Of course, he was constantly, if you look at the indictment, constantly trying to get things favorable uh, to UAE, to the United Arab Emirates, put in Trump's speeches and policy statements. Um, He was working for UAE, a foreign national, a foreign country. Now, that in itself is not a crime. Where the crime comes in is failing to register with DOJ. He clearly did not register. And I want to say there have been people out there who said, oh, who cares? It's a paperwork crime, right? He didn't fill out some document. Big, big deal. It's way more than that because We have to know if somebody has the ear of the president or a member of Congress and they're working on behalf of a foreign country, even a foreign adversary, not that UAE is a foreign adversary, but it could be if they're working for Russia, for example. We have to know that this person is working for that foreign country. Clearly, Barrick did not register. Now, doubling his problems is that he's charged with obstruction of justice and false statements because he flagrantly appears to have lied To the FBI, they asked him, for example, do you have a dedicated phone line where you communicate with these folks? He said, no, he has a dedicated phone line. He denied sort of all the interaction. And what really makes matters uh, difficult for Barrick is 
This indictment, this is not a cooperator indictment, Michael. This is not a case where Barrick can say, oh, the whole case is based on a cooperator who has been convicted of his own crimes and he has an agenda and, and this and that. It's based on Barrick's own words. The indictment just quotes texts and emails basically up and down. So I don't know how they're going to beat this thing. And Barrick's going to have a really difficult decision to make. He's 74 years old. He's going to go to jail in all likelihood over this if he does not cooperate. So he's going to have to do some sort of prioritizing and incentive weighing here. Well, I believe that it's more than just the fair violation here. I think that's just the tip of the iceberg. The way that I'm seeing it being explained by pundits like yourself, the talking heads on the various different stations, is that it's so much more than just Farah. The fact that he had the dedicated line, and forget about the fact that it's the UAE, whether they are adversary or ally at the present moment. The bottom line is that Tom Barrack did not have authorization within which to be doing what he was doing. Mm -hmm. And so the potential is actually a charge that they're looking at, which is to hold him as a spy, right? The fact that he was successful in getting the president to add language to his speeches, to his statements, right? To which Barrick had provided those speeches and those statements to the Arab Emirates, right? To um, that guy Malik, well in advance of statements even being made. So there's potential treason here, more so than even just Farah. If you can break that yeah. down for me. Um, you know, the essence of a Farah charge, a Foreign Agents Registration Act charge, is essentially that a person was acting as a secret agent. I mean, not to de-glamorize James Bond or anything, but that's essentially what a secret agent is. And if you look at the DOJ press release, one of the official quotes from one of the prosecutors in charge of this case is that Barrick betrayed, the word is betrayed in the press release, betrayed, they actually say betrayed Donald Trump. They say they say the country and several officials, including the candidate or the former president, but obviously it's Donald Trump. Um, is he going to get charged with something more serious than this, like treason, for example? I think it's unlikely um, just because the DOJ tries to stick with the most straightforward, provable stuff, especially Merrick Garland. I've been critical of Merrick Garland when it comes, for example, to January 6th. I think he should be charging sedition and he's not. Um, so I wouldn't cross my fingers for a treason charge, but I think he what he was doing, the essence of what he was doing was basically, yeah, a foreign mole in our government and um, or not in our but but, you know, lobbying our government and, and lobbying almost understates it. Right. Because you think of lobbyists, you think of people maybe taking doing a presentation to a member of Congress. I mean, this guy had the ear of the most powerful person in our government and as you said, Michael, he succeeded. He got language added in. And then there's these emails and, and texts back and forth with Barrick and Al-Sahi and the others where they're saying, oh, everyone's so thrilled with what you did. And it was a grand slam for the home team. I mean, they're openly high-fiving about this. So it's a serious case here. And, and I don't think he's going to succeed in sort of taking the sting out of it by trying to downplay it as some kind of ministerial crime. So when I turned around and I had said to you, because – But this program that we're doing right now, this is like a special investigation. This is going to be a midweek one. We we only do this for very (laughs) special occasions. And Ellie, you are the special insight into this. Yes, I know Tom Barrett. 
And I know of stories that involve, for example, Stephanie Winston Wolkoff, as she talked about the presidential inaugural committee that he was running along with Jared Kushner and with Ivanka. But there's more here than just Tom Barrack's indictment and a danger that's now being thrown into the Trump court, into Trump, into Don, Ivanka, Eric, Jared, uh, the Trump businesses and so on. They didn't only just indict Tom Barrack. They also indicted Matthew Grimes, a 27-year-old kid, right, who somehow became his chief of staff, his go-to guy, who was the one that was also working with these apps and with these um, secret um, burner phones right. to the Emiratis. I don't believe that this kid Grimes, one, has the intestinal fortitude within which to put up with a prison sentence. Because at the end of the day, I think he's basically ruined. I think he's, I, I think he's unfortunately tainted in the fact that he's 27 years old. He's now going to be wrapped up into a massive scandal. Where does he go from here despite his Ivy League education? Yep. And why would he already not be engaging with a 5K1? Because he is not the target here. He, he could, he's just a guy. Yeah. Who worked for Tom. He could flip. Prosecutors definitely sometimes try to get to C, to get to B, to get to A, right? And I've done that. I've flipped people three or four levels up the ladder. That's sort of what you want to do as a prosecutor. He absolutely could flip. He's looking, look, the, the proof that I just laid out against Barrick is, is basically the same as it is against this guy. Um, and he's looking at serious time. And, and you're right. I mean, look, he's 27 years old. This, this conviction, if and when he's convicted, and I believe he will be, will stay with him forever. So why has he not flipped yet? Who knows? It could be. Look, sometimes you have to see that, right? You have to see that indictment. You have to feel the feel the handcuffs in order to come around. Um, it could be that he was hope, you know, hoping or banking on not getting charged. But now he is. And now he's got to, as we used to say, sort of he's got to have a come to Jesus moment, right? Is he going to? Is he going to save himself or is he going to go in for this fight? And if he does flip, I, I presume he would only bolster the case against Barrick and potentially others. And that in turn would increase pressure on Barrick. And, you know, it's interesting you mentioned the inaugural because Barrick was, of course, the chair of the 2016 Trump inaugural committee. And, and, and that's a story that I've always wondered about, because you remember it was reported a few years ago that my old office, the SDNY, was digging in and investigating that. Um, that committee in a serious way. And there seemed to be an awful lot of smoke, right? A hell of a lot of money raised, not a lot of legitimate expenses, right? They raised way more money than anyone before, but the inauguration itself was way smaller. A lot of outrageously inflated invoices. I really expected there to be something there. And we don't know the full story on this yet, but that case either fizzled or was snuffed. But if Barrick flips, he could bring it sort of roaring back to life. Yeah, I would have to say it was snuffed. I know that for not only that, but for other aspects, including the hush money payments, that there were a dozen sealed indictments waiting. And for some unknown reason, the SDNY, your former office, turns around and they decide that they're not going to pursue the campaign finance violations against anyone not Donald, not not Ivanka, not not Alan Weisselberg, uh, not 
Jared, nobody except for me. Yeah. Right. I'm the only one, you know, which is incredible. Yeah. That story has not been told, but I've said to you, Michael, uh, I think on air, the fact that the way the SDNY uh, bottom lined that case to me is inexcusable. And I, I, I can be critical of my old office and I will be, um, you know, if someone had come to me and said, we have this big scheme, a lot of people are involved. All we're going to ever do, though, is charge the lawyer, essentially the, the, the guy who's delivering a check, a bag man. We're going to charge him. Nobody else, though. Um, we're going to say some things about people in some of our filings that are going to sort of, you know, throw shade at them. But we're not going to actually I would go. Why? We don't do business that way. You don't just go after one guy and leave everyone else sort of on, you know, unaccountable. So I still don't know how that went down at the SDNY. But the bottom line is not is not uh, appropriate in my view. Ellie, they didn't just make me into the guy. They gave everybody else immunity. Right. Weisselberg I mean, and Pecker. That's the craziest part. Weisselberg, Pecker, Dylan Howard. Yeah. You know, everybody else seemed to have gotten immunity. All of these 12 other sealed indictments managed to go. But going yeah. back to Barrick and to Grimes now, why Grimes, I believe, is probably negotiating a 5K1 right now. Uh, and I believe that Barrick will ultimately try to obtain one as well, is because they already, meaning government, already has a ton and a half of shit on Barrick and everything that went on. Remember, there's surveillance that was going on for quite a period of time. They have documents already. But I'll tell you something that people haven't talked about. They also already have Rick Gates. Right. Rick Gates was yes. part of the Trump campaign Post the Trump campaign, something a lot of people don't know, Rick Gates became chief of staff to Tom Barrick. Right. Um, and he was there for quite a period of time. And he got indicted and charged. And cooperated. Un and cooperated based upon the Paul Manafort scenario. Yep. And as we also know, Trump got Paul Manafort through Tom Barrick. Right. So there's this ugly sort of circular relationships that all stemmed from Tom Barrett. It, it's interesting. And, and I'm, I'm curious because you, you know, some of these players personally, including Barrett. I know all yeah. of them. Yeah. I mean, you know, what's your instinct? Because all I can do is sort of from the outside list, the incentives and disincentives. It appears to me from the public reporting, look, I'm clear on the fact that this is a real indictment that he's going down, that he's going to get in all likelihood convicted, that he's looking at a monster case against him here. I know he's 74 years old. I know he's wealthy. He doesn't need Donald Trump's money, um, unlike other people, which may have kept them in the fold. And my understanding is they had a close relationship, but it's sort of cooled off or fizzled or distanced in recent years. So do you think knowing the person that he's more likely to fight this thing and go down swinging and, and stand up, as they say in the mob? Or do you feel like he's more likely to say, I'm not going down without taking you all down and I'm going to save myself? Tom Barrick is a guy very similar to Donald mm -hmm. in the fact that he's a narcissistic sociopath. Okay. And it's always about Tom. Yeah. The only difference is Tom has more couth and he's more refined than right. Donald. It's interesting. And he really knows how to, you know, how to pat your back. Um, as he did with this guy, Matt Grimes, and even with, with um, Rick Gates. Yeah. He knows how to play the game a lot better than Donald. Now, I'm going to tell you something. I don't know what his net worth is. I know there's allegations that 
Colony Capital is like a $36 billion fund and so on. I don't know if that's true. Right. I don't know what he's worth. What I do know is that he was given a $250 million bond yeah. to which $5 million was cash. Was posted, yeah. um, the rest, they posted a whole bunch of properties, right. including properties of his ex-wives, of his son, and so on. That's not a rich man. Yeah. And it, to me, it reminded me very much of like Bernie Madoff, when everybody was saying, oh, he's involved in a $50 billion scam. Therefore, Bernie Madoff must have billions right. in the bank. Bernie Madoff was driving like a five-year-old used <laughs> Mercedes, right? Living in a relatively nice Upper East Side apartment, far from, you know, one of these $80, $100 million penthouses right. that you would think. And his home in the Hamptons was one that he bought in the 70s that, in all fairness, he never put a dollar into. <laughs> That's There's few billionaires that behave like that. Very few. There's a difference between paper wealth and, and actual wealth, for sure. And I found that bail package really interesting because... The prosecutors changed their tune very quickly. Initially, their position was he can't be released, Barrick, because he has all this money. He has a private jet. He has contacts all over the all over the earth, um, including in foreign countries where we do not have an extradition treaty. So if he gets there, we can never get him out. Um, they did say we're not comfortable this time. We want him sent to New York through the marshals. And then we'll see if we can work out a bail package. And then they changed their tune very quickly when Barrick offered up the $5 million and to wear a GPS bracelet and that kind of thing. And there really are only two things that can mean to me from my prosecutorial experience. One could be they just were satisfied enough with the bail package that it, it ensured that he wouldn't go anywhere. The other, and this is less likely, but possible because I've done this, is that it was some sort of an agreement as a is a precedent to or, or trying to set the stage for cooperation. I've had situations where I've where I had resisted letting people out on bail. And then I agreed on the understanding that this that they'd come into proffer, that they'd come in to start the cooperation process. So I did that a handful of times, not often, but that's possible as well. It was a pretty quick turnaround from the prosecutors. Yeah, and that's why I bring it up. I could I could assure you that in prison world they call the movement by the marshals, uh, it's called diesel therapy, <laughs> right? Where they throw your ass onto a bus, yep. they move you from place to place, you're, you're shackled, yep. cuffed, and put into a box, meaning the box holds the wire. You cannot move your arms or your legs. You sit there. Yeah. If you have to go to the bathroom, knock yourself out on yourself. Just make sure that the guy next to you doesn't wow. end up, you know, getting any of your liquid on him because he'll headbutt you, yeah. right? Um, you can't move. They feed, they barely feed you. They give you one bottle of water and then they put you onto a plane that's not too dissimilar to the movie Con Air. Right, that's what they call right? it. Yeah. Where you're also that, and next thing you know, you're going to the next location for processing. Right. And then you strip down the whole night. It is, it is a very, very painful experience. That's interesting. From people who I know who have gone through it. And rest assured, Tom Barrack is not used to this type of treatment. Right. He's used to getting on his plane, telling the captain, let's go, wheels up. All right, getting there, having his limo pick him up and take him to where. So this could certainly be, as you just stated, a way to set the stage for what the prosecutors want, which is really eye on the prize. Yep. And he is not necessarily the and prize. And let me throw this out in, into the mix as well. 
for four years there, everybody in Barrick's position, whether they were convicted or just charged, uh, Bannon on to uh, Roger Stone and all the rest, was holding out hope, m- most of which were paid off, um, not paid off literally, but holding out hope, most of which were realized for a pardon because they were like, well, the big guys in, in, the, in the White House, he's got that pardon pen. There ain't going to be pardons now. So Barrick is going to need to reckon with this. And like you said, he's going to go through some lifestyle shock, some culture shock. I mean, it's it's. Uh, you know, uh, you don't need me to tell you it's devastating to be in prison for, for a week, uh, three weeks, a month. But he's looking at years. He's a 74 year old guy. He's not I, I, I just do not see him beating this case. And it's a federal case. And I don't see Matt Grimes. I don't see yeah. Matt Grimes beating it. And then again, yep. we got to bring back in Rick Gates, yep. who has already turned over a plethora well, of information, documents, and also, so on, let's remember, all regarding this. Let's remember also with Rick Gates, he testified successfully. He testified at the Manafort trial. He was cross-examined, and the jury credited him. They believed him. So he's got – doesn't necessarily mean what the next jury is going to do, but he's got he's got a track record already of credibility. Well, Ellie, you said that Barrick was a secret agent. What does that mean in terms of what he's accused of doing and the role that he actually played? Yeah, I mean, this is what real life secret agents look like, right? That, you know, we, we think of James Bond and secret, you know, pens that shoot people and cars that shoot out smoke and stuff. But really what it means is somebody who's operating within our government or or lobbying our government, pulling levers of our government on behalf of a foreign country um, secretly, right? I mean, and he was indisputably doing all of those things. I mean, imagine a world where this was allowed. Imagine a world where we did not have laws against this. You could have people crawling through the halls of Congress, the White House, our agencies, influencing, exercising power, exercising influence over our officials, and actually working for foreign countries, even including potentially foreign adversaries, and we'd have no way to know it. That's why this is a serious crime that's being charged. It's charged very rarely, but it's being charged increasingly. I I actually found it interesting to note that DOJ um, announced that they'd be ramping up their prosecutions of this kind of crime in 2019 under Donald Trump and Bill Barr. Um, So this is a serious crime. This is what a real life secret agent, you know, put aside Hollywood is. And I think um, and DOJ's press release, like I said, Really, they came on strong in that press release. This was not a vanilla milk toast press release. They said he betrayed his country. He betrayed the public officials who he dealt with. So, and look, the crime, the, the, the penalties here, I was looking at the sentencing guidelines, like they're real. If he's convicted at trial, he's going to be in, in prison till he's, you know, 80 plus. And if he takes a plea without cooperation, he's still likely looking at three, four years in prison. So, this is really serious, and he's going to have to get real about this. I, you know, I know he's lived a, a, a star, a, a charmed life so far, and he's wealthy to some extent, and he's done what he wants, and he's traveled the world. But uh, federal indictment's a whole new ballgame. Oh yes, I know that from personal <laughs> yeah. experience. You know, when when I read the indictment as well, something that just sort of jumped out at me was like the Rosenberg trials of 1953. Now, in one respect, of course, you know, they were accused of selling nuclear secrets and all that other stuff uh, and so on. We don't really know yet exactly the secrets that Tom Barrick was providing to others. We also know that there was an unusually close relationship, not just between Barrick and the Emiratis, but between Barrick and Jared Kushner. Okay. And I believe that this is when I had said to you that this is 
the daddy long legs, right, of of um, information that is going to damage not just Trump individually, but the children and Kushner. Right. That's my belief. And that would be one of my big questions as a prosecutor that you have some insight into, which is just how intertwined was Barrick with the children, with the org, with Jared's various ventures over there, with the real estate deals? Because, gosh, if this guy did cooperate, I mean, you know, that first meeting when you're a prosecutor and you sit with a with a, with a potential cooperator, you know, we call it the proffer, right? The first proffer session. It's always like a little bit of a mystery. I mean, sometimes the lawyer has given you a sense of what the guy's going to have. And I would certainly ask for that in this case. But, you know, how many different uh, new avenues can this guy open up? Can he, you know, and remember, it's important people understand this. Cooperators in the federal system, and this certainly applied to the SDNY where I worked, it certainly applies to the Eastern District where Barrick is charged. You don't just cooperate on the four corners of the indictment, right? They'll start with the indictment, you know, were you lobbying on behalf of UAE? Of course he was, that's obvious. Did you lie to the FBI? Yes, I did. But then the whole world's open. Prosecutors, the the deal is it's all or nothing. You have to tell prosecutors everything you know. And prosecutors will sit there and go, Tell us everything you know about this person. That person will probably have a, a roster. Just go, do you, ever, do you know this person? Have you ever done anything with them? Do you know anything about uh, them doing anything illegal? So, you know, there. I've seen cases where someone's been charged with count one, count two, and they end up blowing the, the lid open on dozens of different crimes involving dozens of different people. Yeah. And let's not forget that the level of access allegedly offered and then granted to the Emirates is staggering and would seem that Barrick simply sold them his access to Trump and to policymaking and that Trump ultimately obliged. Yeah. The world is racing to get back to normal and start meeting up in person again. But after the year we've all had, getting back to feeling normal takes time. My journey back to the world started with being released from prison into home confinement. The only way I got through it was to prioritize my mental health and realize that it was going to take some time. If you're feeling overwhelmed by it all, you're not alone. It's important to find the support you need to face those feelings and move forward. We all talk to our friends when we're experiencing issues, but they don't always give the advice that we need. In my case, nothing they said related to what I was going through. Getting unbiased feedback and advice from a licensed professional can be refreshing and actually rewarding. When you're in a low point, you might feel alone. But over 50% of Americans struggle with their mental health. We all need help sometimes, and asking for support when you need it is actually a sign of strength. Talkspace makes it easy to match with a licensed therapist and schedule live video sessions, all from the comfort of your device. You can start messaging your therapist the same day that you sign up. Whether you're a parent, student, millennial, or just someone having a hard day, Talkspace can provide the support to help you feel better with a single message. Talkspace offers individual and couples therapy, in addition to medication prescription services. Set goals with your therapist, and they can help make sure that you're really progressing. Talkspace works around your schedule, at your convenience. Send and receive unlimited messages with your dedicated therapist in the app. Schedule live video sessions with your licensed therapists from anywhere. Whether you're experiencing depression, anxiety, or other problems, Talkspace is the number one online therapy platform to help you sort through any issue. 
Thousands of licensed therapists are available for you to match with. Talkspace therapists are experts in dozens of specialties, including anxiety, depression, relationships, and more to help you start feeling better today. So start feeling better with a single message. Match with a licensed therapist when you go to Talkspace.com and get $100 off your first month with the promo code COHEN. That's $100 off when you use promo code COHEN at Talkspace.com. What in your mind were the most of his egregious actions? And from a prosecutorial standpoint. Yeah, I, I think the thing that, that hits home hardest is where he succeeded, where he there, there's one instance where he gets Barrick gets Trump to add UAE friendly language into a policy speech. I mean, that's a big darn deal. There's another instance outlined in the indictment, and it's a little bit more circumstantial where Trump's going to go to a meeting with foreign heads of state that the UAE does not want him to go to. And Barrick then apparently lobbies Trump and he decides not to go. Now, the the indictment's a little circumspect about whether that's a sort of direct cause and, uh, you know, cause relationship. So I'm featuring those to a jury, but it really is, you know, it really does raise questions about, first of all, what did anybody else know about who Barrick was working for? Did people know he was working for the UAE? How could he have gotten that close? Well, he was, but how could he have gotten that kind of access and power who knew what? Um, how was this going on? And this seems to have been, by the way, Michael, you, pro- you may know something about this, but this seems to have been a, a trend, especially in the early years of the Trump administration, where you had people like Manafort and Rick Gates and Flynn and Barrick all to varying extents doing the bidding of foreign countries, getting paid for it without disclosing it. And it seems like it was this feeding frenzy of now we have access to the big guy. We're going to sell it, basically, and we're not going to disclose that we're working for these folks who are paying us. Yeah, and look, you asked me, how did, it, how did all of this happen? And if I had to guess, and I'm going to make this my guesstimate, it all ran through the secretary of everything, through Jared. <laughs> and I know it, and I know it on more than just a guesstimate, mm-hmm. simply because there was a gentleman that had asked me, During the early days when Trump was going to Riyadh for a meeting with a bunch of the Middle Eastern um, country representatives and alleged that he had gotten $250 billion for infrastructure investment from the uh, from the Gulf Coast countries. Right. And we never know whether or not that's true or that's not true. But this individual who was a huge supporter and contributor to Trump wanted to go now, not to go with Trump on his, on Air Force One, not to travel as part. He's wealthy, this guy in his own right. And all he wanted was to be invited into that um, that hall, right. that celebratory hall as they were going to make this announcement, because one of his clients who had already put money into his fund um, had been asked to attend and he wanted to attend with them. Right. And I had called Kushner when they rejected this guy's offer. Now this guy is a million dollar donor right. to the presidential inaugural committee and everything. And they rejected it. Right. And when I spoke to Jared and I asked Jared, why would you reject it? He's a friend of, of, of Donald's, mm-hmm. right? The guy gave a million dollars and so on. He doesn't want to travel with you. He goes, Oh, I spoke to Tom and Tom said no. 
And that's because I truly believe that Tom wanted all of that foreign investment money to come through his fund, right? And that way he would end up taking, whether it's 1% or 2% as management fee onto it and so on. It was one big, gigantic fucking grift. Interesting. End of story, right? I mean, that's really what it was. And now you're going to learn. You're going to learn, in my opinion, exactly what was going on because you're going to get it from the horse's mouth. And do I think it implicates others in the Trump family, Trump himself and and so on? Absolutely. Now, let me ask you, I got another thought that I wanted to ask you. Knowing the grift that they all did from Kushner to Trump, et cetera, it kind of makes you want to scratch your head and go, hmm, right? Why didn't Trump just give him a fucking pardon? Right. He had that ability. Right. We know that there were pocket pardons that were given. Right. Why didn't Trump give him a pocket pardon on this? We know, obviously, that he didn't give it. When you say because otherwise he would have pulled it out. We don't. Do you mean secret pardons? Yes. I don't know that. I don't think that's been confirmed that he's done that. Did you? Well, I'm going to give you the answer. Okay. All right. If, in fact, that he had a pocket pardon. Right. He would have pulled it out. Once they once they turn oh, no, no. around, they showed up to his door. I agree. Door. It, I, I'm I'm on that side. That I don't. I've not seen any evidence that Trump has given anybody a, a secret pardon. My, my, that's my that's my point. Right. Knowing okay. the grift, knowing why what was going have, on. I got you. Why wouldn't he yeah, have done it's it? It's a good question. You know, one of the wrinkles here is that DOJ under the Trump administration at least tried to slow play this case. Right. There's been reporting, and now Congress is demanding answers. Why was this case held up? Because you know, and, and I think we need to know why that was. It could have been for good reasons or bad reasons, right? No prosecutor of sound mind could look at this indictment and think, ah, we don't have the proof. It's not worth bringing. So either the bad reasons would be somebody played politics and didn't want an ally of the president, somebody who might flip against the president to be charged. The good reasons would be either you're not supposed to announce a politically charged indictment within 60 or 90 days of the election. Okay. But it also could be that there was some positioning there to avoid a pardon, right? Because if Barrick had been indicted before January 20th, Donald Trump could have, and given what he did, it seems likely would have pardoned him. So why didn't Trump try to preemptively pardon him is a good question. I mean, he didn't issue any preemptive pardon. So maybe he was convinced that he could not do that. Um, Maybe he didn't believe that these charges were going to come to fruition, Maybe he had some assurance or some confidence that Barrick wouldn't flip, or maybe he just chose not to interfere for whatever personal reason or political reason. It's it's a really good question. It's an interesting one. Uh, it's an interesting one to contemplate. And it goes. To, the reason I ask that question, you know, sometimes we lawyers ask questions already knowing the answer. Yeah, tell me, right? They always say you should never ask questions from the first time, from the first moment we started speaking today. Um, you asked me an interesting question. Do I think that Tom Barrick will flip or cooperate against Donald? And I believe that the answer, mm-hmm. as I said before, is yes. Mm-hmm. And this is how I know okay. that he will do it. Because I don't believe that it was because Donald wanted you know, to uphold the law, that it's not proper right. to do these secret pardons okay. and so on. Donald Trump doesn't give a shit about that. right? I believe something happened between them. 
Uh, I believe that there's that there's always something that happens. Maybe Tom wasn't able to deliver on some financial obligation or benefit to Donald. And so, you know, they sort of cut each other off at that point in time, whatever it might be. But one thing we definitely know is that there is no um, secret pardon here for Tom. Yeah. And Tom, as you rightfully said, is 74, has no interest in spending the next decade you know, away from his lifestyle and his family. It is. But, yeah, you know, good. no, go I was just say it's remarkable how often cooperation just depends on what the personal relationship is. Right. I mean, I can't tell you how many guys I flipped because they had a personal falling out because they had a fight over a girl or a wife or a finances or or, you know, a beef or something. I mean, that leads people to cooperate. Well, with guys like this. Do you think he knew that he was breaking the law or just didn't care as he didn't think that he'd ever get caught? Yeah. Or do you think did he know what he was doing and that the money was just too great to pass up and that he thought it was worth the risk? Because I realize I'm asking about a state of mind. No, here, I, I have an answer But it's for definitely you. worth conjecturing uh, as to why someone would expose themselves to espionage charges when the guy's living in a massive mansion with his own private plane and, you know, he, a good lifestyle. He absolutely has to have known that he was breaking the law because he lied to the FBI. If he thought it was innocent when the FBI said, are you doing work for UAE? He would have been like, sure. Why? What's wrong with that? And he had this dedicated phone line and used encrypted stuff and lied about that, too. So both of those things show me that he knew what he was doing was a crime. What's his what's his, you know, thought process then? I think it may have been a combination of. You know, a, a guy like that, a, a powerful, wealthy, older guy is used to getting away with whatever the hell he wants to do. And it might have been that he thought ah, they won't catch me or they won't detect me or the crime here is really just a minor paperwork crime that's not often charged. And we'll, we'll, we'll spin it as something other than doing lobbying work or something like that. So I think it probably just comes down to arrogance, really, why you would commit a crime like that that's fairly open and notorious, fairly easily detectable when you already have all the money you could ever need. Yeah, it's one of the questions that yeah. I can't figure out. I believe it's with Tom, knowing Tom the way I know him, it's always about money. Right. Money and power. And, yep. and and these rich guys always you know, they're never they never say that's enough. I'm good. Right. It's always more right. next. And Tom more next. Tom Tom personifies that. Yeah. So now one of the more troubling aspects of this entire escapade has been the way that Barrick defended Saudi Arabia over the murder of distant journal uh, journalist Jamal Khashoggi. And in 2018, he said it was a mistake to judge the regime and that all atrocities in the United States were equal or worse. And I quote, whatever happened in Saudi Arabia, the atrocities in America are equal or worse. Wow. The atrocities in any country are dictated by the rule of law. So for us to dictate what we think is the moral code there, I think is a mistake. Now, he later apologized, but Trump later bragged to Bob Woodward in his book Rage that he, in quotes, saved Mohammed bin Salman's butt over the charges. This, in addition to the fact that after Khashoggi's murder, Trump bypassed Congress to sell roughly $8 billion in arms to the Saudis and to the United Arab Emirates. Now, he also then vetoed a trio of resolutions blocking the sale, as well as a resolution to end support for the Saudi-led coalition in Yemen. Now, in my mind, Barack 
Tom Barrick, right? Um, you know, in my mind, Tom Barrick had his finger on all of this shit. And it deserves a deeper investigation from Congress as well. What's your thoughts? So I'll take all. I don't, I don't know all of those facts, but I'll certainly take you at your word. Um, that's a perfect example of why we have these laws. I mean, think about it. You have a person who's enormously influential in the president's really inner circle who could be influencing everything um, from, you know, massive transactions that we make with foreign countries, billion dollar transactions. You know, the indictment talks about getting language inserted into the speeches, which is a big deal. But the influence here could have gone way farther to what meetings he's taking the president, to enormous transactions, to even the way we as a country respond to the murder of Jamal Khashoggi. That is very, very serious stuff. And if you have someone who's guiding the president on that, who's lobbying the president on that, who's influencing him, and the guy's secretly working for one of the involved countries, and we don't know that, that that is, talk about a security risk. I mean, that is an enormous risk to our national security, to our foreign relations. So that's exactly why this is not just some mere paperwork crime. That's why this crime really has teeth. And, and this is why people go to jail for it. And I'm going to go back to the whole thing about what Tom Barrick actually knows or probably, you know, will end up offering up. Who is the first person and the only person that Mohammed bin Salman wanted to speak to when all of this shit came out about the murder of Khashoggi in the embassy. I don't know. You tell me. Jared Kushner. Okay, right. The only person that he wanted to speak to. Interesting. Um, right. Look, if I were the prosecutor and I were uh, able to flip Barrick, I would certainly have a long list of people who I'd want to ask him about. And uh, Jared Kushner would be on that list, and I would I would test that evidence and see if he could provide evidence that could support um, any wrongdoing by Kushner or anybody else. But you know, you know the operation better than I do, and I would I would probably talk to people like you if I was the prosecutor and say, "Who am I asking Barrick about here?" And I would come up with my list that way. Well, then that would be nineteen investigations <laughs> that I cooperated with that I got absolutely zero on. <laughs> so sure, why not? Call me again. You're it the makes world's no most generous cooperating witness, Michael. All give, no it's take. So, <laughs> by the way, so it appears. Now, the Khashoggi murder, <laughs> and it happens to be it's true. Kind of true actually, I mean, yeah. almost four hundred hours worth of testimony, yeah. and yet I love it where Judge Paulie was like, you know, uh, you know, no leniency. You know, Trump saying there should be no leniency given to him. Right? This is Donald Trump's theories on what happens to people who cooperate. Um, now, the Khashoggi murder also had significant fallout because the company that trained his killers, Tier 1, which is a Memphis-based security contractor, is actually owned by a private equity giant, Cerberus, whose CEO sat on its board and was a major donor to the now-defunct Rebuilding America Now PAC which spent $21 million to support the former president. Now, that pack was set up and administered by Manafort and Barrick. And I can't help but wonder what else that we're going to find out from Barrick about what went on behind the scenes as he gets squeezed. This is what we're talking about. Please discuss this with my listeners. You know, we, we use the phrase follow the money, of course, all the time. And again, I don't know the, all those facts you just laid out, but I'll, I'll assume them to be true. I think one of the things you do with Barrick, if again, the big if, if, is, if he flips is trace all these lines, all these uh, financial interactions, all these corporate you know, interactions 
what was Manafort's deal? I think there's more, still more about Manafort that we don't know yet in the public. I mean, the guy was just charged with so many crimes. What was the relationship? Who was sending this money in? What was it used for? Where did it go? This is all the, this is the reason you need a cooperator. You need someone like Barrick to really walk you through it. Um, but there's so many overlapping angles here. And, and, you, and, you know, I don't know if that guy Grimes is, has enough access to really lay it out. Um, he seemed, it seems unlikely, but he may lead you, he may bolster the case against Barrick, which gets you where you want to go. But th- this is what prosecutors do. They sit there, they walk through accounts, they walk through wire transfers, they walk through incorporation papers, and you need a tour guide. And it sounds like this guy could be perfect for that. And if not him, so the same with Gates, Yeah. the same with Rick Gates, yeah. right? And I think with this, we're also going to find out, I mean, there's still open conversation regularly going on. Stephanie Winston Wolkoff was a big part of this where she turned around and she claimed that there's like $80 million that was missing from the presidential inaugural campaign. Right. And that's, I keep going back to that. You know, it seems, it seemed fairly clear from the public reporting that there was really some wrongdoing and fraud connected with the inaugural campaign. But that, that investigation, maybe more than any other, inexplicably just fizzled and went nowhere. And um, I'd like to I'd like to get a little more information about why. Yeah, so would I. I mean, there's a whole series of these that just never went anywhere. You know, and I do believe that with Tom Barrick now becoming what I would assume, right, is going to be a cooperating witness in hopes of as much leniency as he could possibly get. Uh, I think a lot of these questions are going to be answered. And I, too, look forward to it. But the Rebuilding America PAC also faced allegations and investigations into whether they laundered illegal foreign money into the United States to support Trump in 2016 and whether they illegally coordinated with the Trump campaign using firewall entities. Now, if Barrick were to testify to some of this malfeasance, Do you think that Trump or others potentially face now new campaign finance and money laundering charges? There just seems to be a bottomless pit of fucking corruption here, literally, that has never been seen before. Well, it it would depend on what you could prove. But if you could prove that foreign money was coming in and that it was being laundered or sort of cleaned up um, and it was making its way to PACs, American PACs or American political campaigns – then yes, that's absolutely a crime. I mean, Lev Parnas, was, for example, was indicted by the SDNY for helping to launder and funnel uh, foreign money from primarily from Ukraine into these pro-Trump PACs, right? So that absolutely is a crime. And you mentioned coordination. What makes a PAC sort of different legally and what allows people to get away with a lot and to donate tons of money to PACs is that they are legally seen as separate from the campaign. And so while there are limits on what any person can donate to a campaign, generally there are no such limits or much higher limits when it relates to PACs. But if they're coordinating, hey, when would you guys want this ad? Uh, what do you, you know, can you send us your, your, your outreach list? Then it crosses over and it becomes a campaign donation to the campaign itself, essentially. And of course, Anything over a few thousand dollars is going to violate the campaign finance laws. It's actually a strange variation on the crime that you were charged with relating to Stormy Daniels, right? That was a payment made to her that was technically seen as a campaign-related expense. So that's where the crime would would lie here, the crimes, 
um, again, if if these fact patterns could be proven out. Do you realize, though, with my campaign finance violation, Ellie, that I'm the only yes. one that has been charged I do. in this entire ordeal? It's outrageous. But yes, I, I think it's, that, I, it's, it's terrible prosecutorial unlike, practice. Yeah. Unlike Paul Manafort, who took $20 million or so from Ukraine and hid right. it overseas. Unlike Michael Flynn, who took seventy or seventy-five thousand from the Russians and then put it in his son's account, I paid money. Right, I paid money right. to a woman not to tell the fact that as a porn star, she pulled the president's pecker about a week or two right prior to you know to the election. I didn't take money from anybody. Yeah. I'm the only idiot that goes to prison for paying somebody. Yeah, I will. Leave, I will leave your comments on the record as is. <laughs> about that <laughs> but it's but it's so it's so a, true and you will here, have a unique place in, in cooperator or near cooperator history for that for those reasons i think yeah i think so too now Ellie, <laughs> i mean it is so stupid right i mean the fact that i'm the only one how many more times and yet still to this day despite the fact that stormy daniels has put out a book mm-hmm. she's been on speaking tours she talks about her affair with Donald. So does Karen McDougal, who, by the way, that's another one that made absolutely no sense that they said, I paid 150 I did not. Right. It was paid by AMI, by David Pecker, and National Enquirer. I paid nothing for that one. But short of that, it's it to me, the fact that all of these people, that Donald Trump to this day claims that he did not have an affair with either Stormy Daniels or Karen McDougal, I just think is comical. And it just goes to show you that nothing that comes out of that man's mouth is truth, right? It's truthful. And that is another reason why he's going to now do the same thing to Tom Barrack as he did to me, as I believe he will do with Alan Weisselberg, as he will do with everybody. Right. It's going to be Tom who? What do I have to do with him going and running off with some Saudi or Emirati or somebody else? What does that have to do with me? They'll say, well, he told you to change it. I thought it was a good idea, right? Well, you know, that. what's wrong with that? You know, somebody tells you something, you read something, you learn of something. Why should I not be allowed to put that into a speech, right? Yeah. What Tom was doing outside of my knowledge, you can't hold me responsible for. That's what he's going to do. And Jared, if Jared was was working with him in doing, you know, in doing something, why is that now on me? Why is that my issue? You just, it's just right. a witch hunt. You're just trying to trying to destroy my good name and my presidential, you know, um, record in history. That's what he's going to do. What I'm doing here is looking for any signs of of a split or a rift. And you're right. There's a predictable pattern that Donald Trump engages in, which is, and and you went through it, initially to support the person and say, this person is a good person and these charges are outrageous and unjust. Then the distancing, I didn't really have anything to do with him. Who was he? Barely saw him. And then when it becomes apparent that the person is cooperating, then Trump just savages the person. So I'm watching for any of those stages in the process with respect to Barrick or Weisselberg or anybody else. Yeah, the only problem for Donald is the fact that Tom, who, as I stated earlier, is much more acute than, than Donald is. He's already seeing the writing on the wall. He already knows that 
his ass is cooked, and he's going to do everything within which to cooperate. I don't care which lawyers. He could bring on a team of 100 lawyers. I read that indictment. That's not going to be an indictment that he's going to be able to just walk away from, especially not, again, since they have Grimes, they have Gates, and they have the documents. They have the documentary evidence yeah. the emails, already. The emails and the texts are the killer right there. Like he can't, he wrote those, those things. He can't, you know, there's just not much he can do with that from a defense standpoint. Yeah, I totally agree. Now, Ellie, as a former prosecutor, if you were going to try and get Barrick to flip or cooperate, I hate that word, right? What would be the most enticing evidence for you to bring towards a new Trump or Trump family indictment that would get him to cooperate? Well, that would get Barrick to cooperate. Um, I would just use what's in the indictment itself, right? I would, I would lay it out to him very simply. I would say, you're, you're a 74 year old man. Um, we have your emails here in a stack. We put the best of in the indictment, you know, your lawyer will explain to you that virtually everybody who gets charged federally gets convicted. Here's where you're looking at the guidelines, the federal sentencing guidelines. You are, you know, if you go to trial and lose, I, I could make a good argument that you should do eight, 10 years in prison. Conservatively, you'll probably do five or six. If you try to plead without cooperating, again, we can do the guidelines. Maybe you'll do a little better, three, four years. You'll be there till you're 78, 79, 80, 82 if you make it out. Um, or you can flip. And if you flip, we'll let you out on bail. We'll let you stay out on bail. And you'll get a 5K letter from us, which is a cooperator letter at the end. And, you know, I can point to other examples of people who've committed less or, or excuse me, more serious crimes than this, gotten a good 5K letter because they cooperated thoroughly and correctly and ended up getting little to no jail time. So it's really a question of where your loyalties sit. Um, do you want to take care of yourself and your family or do you want to take care of these other people around you? And by the way, separate from that, one interesting factor here to me is the money, right? Because from what I can gather, Barrick, you know, who knows if he's a, truly a billionaire or not, but he, he's a wealthy guy who doesn't need Donald Trump's money. In contrast to Weisselberg, right, who it seems like has been just propped up just enough into the sort of wealthy class, but only based on what Donald Trump's been willing to pay him and sort of float him. So there's a different level of dependency there that I think is interesting. Yeah, that's very, very true. But you're right. The first thing that they're going to come to him is just at the bottom of the mountain in terms of information, evidence, or the indictment. We have a 1,001 violation that's lying to, the, yeah. to law enforcement, to the FBI. What does that carry? And how is that – again, what I want to yeah. do is I want to build a cake yeah. for a moment, using that as the base of the cake, right? Explain to my listeners how they start with like this guaranteed – this guaranteed conviction because he lied. Yeah. That's fact. And by the way, legally, you can be convicted of obstruction or false statements, even with no other crime. Right. That was one of the things with the Mueller investigation, where some of Trump's lawyers, even Bill Barr, tried to say they didn't quite say the false statement that um, you can you can only have obstruction if you have another crime. But they tried to say, well, it's weak if you don't. That, that's nonsense. There's plenty of people who've been charged and convicted for obstruction without another crime, including Roger Stone. Um, I mean, he, he also committed witness tampering, but that's a form of obstruction. Um, Scooter Libby, Martha Stewart. I mean, there's examples everywhere. So the obstruction charge um, technically carries a maximum of 20 years. He's not going to get 20 years on this. And each false statement charge technically carries a max of five years. But don't go by the max. Um, I mean, realistically, on their own, they're likely to carry 
a few years, two, three, four years, but they also get piled on top of whatever he gets convicted for, or they add, they increase whatever he's looking for for the Foreign Agents Registration Act violation. Um, the obstruction charges are very straightforward. Did you ever deal with this guy, Al-Sahi, about UAE? He said, no, here you go. Here's dozens of emails. Did you have a dedicated phone line? No. Hey, here's the dedicated phone line. I mean, he's going to get roasted on those. And worse than that, it makes him look guilty on the other stuff. It's what we call consciousness of guilt evidence. And so as a prosecutor, that enables you to stand in front of a jury and say, he agreed to speak with the FBI and he lied his face off to them. Why would somebody do that? Why would you ever lie to the FBI? Because you know you're guilty, because you know you have something to hide, and because he knew that what he was doing was wrong. So that evidence is 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 really an important part of the cake here. I guess it could be the base or the icing or whatever, but um, that even further sort of seals his fate as far as I'm concerned. Well, let me just use as an example uh, in what if I was the prosecutor in this, because now I have a lot of experience, right? You know, I've been through the game yeah. and I know how I sure do. There's a case and I would tell Tom, I want you to look up the Imad Zubiri case. Oh, sure. Now I knew Imad, mm-hmm. right? Um, I had met him many times and he had contacted me when I could no longer deal with him. I kicked him off to Kushner. Okay. But with Imad Zubiri, Imad Zubiri was sentenced to 12 years in prison for lobbying and campaign contribution crimes. Well, Tom, that's what we're talking about here, because, you know, my expert here, Ellie Honig, right, has already laid out the base of 1001, then followed up with a fairer violation, no different than Imad Zubiri. Um, I don't know about tax evasion, which Imad was charged with, but... There's also obstruction of justice. Mm-hmm. That's another charge that you just raised. Yeah. That's what got me thinking to the Zubiri case. It's a perfect example. The obstruction of justice. Yeah. Twelve years. Yeah. If people don't think these charges are serious, that that that's actually when you said it, I thought that that's a perfect example of a guy who's charged with similar type of crimes. And people look at these maybe and think, oh, it's it, it's sort of administrative type crimes. Oh no, no. People go away for a long time for this stuff. I mean, Zubiri, I think almost. I think may even be the all-time record for highest sentence. But, you know, courts don't have a lot of tolerance for this, especially where the guy actually impacted our foreign policy and and the obstruction is going to really hurt him here. So, yeah, I think there's this very strong pitch to be made. And that's why, again, I believe that what we're seeing now with Tom and what we will see with Matt Grimes and I believe that they, if they were smart, that they would bring uh, Rick Gates back into this picture, mm-hmm. right? In order just to, again, as you stated, a roadmap to this. I believe that all of this combined is more than enough within which to get Tom to cooperate. Because look, yeah. you know, um, you know Bel Air versus FCI Otisville, <laughs> right? Rest assured. I mean, Tom's facility at his home in Bel Air is bigger than the property at Otisville. Right, right. right? I've been to Otisville. So, I've not I've not been to Otisville's a federal prison, by the way, for, for folks out there. I've definitely been to Otisville a lot of times. I've never been to Bel Air, but I'll take your word for it. <laughs> so I appreciate that. So you know, um Ellie, as we're wi- uh, winding down this hour, yeah. and I told you it goes fast. 
Um, my last question to you sure. is Trump claimed to have been draining the swamp, <laughs> but the creatures that he employed in his administration and then surrounded himself with were of the most egregious of the bunch. Now, he had a whole bunch of Tom Barracks within his administration, all of whom with access to these dangerous anti-democratic regimes and the ability to influence Trump's foreign policy. Now, Mike Flynn, as an example, before he was fired, had a very similar arrangement with Turkey, as well as Rich Grinnell, who helped launder the reputation of a now sanctioned oligarch, um, as well as Elliot Broidy, who was convicted of having a similar yep. arrangement to the Chinese government. Now, then, of course, that there's fucking stupid Rudy Giuliani, who faces a potential host of charges for his adventures in the Ukraine. Right. We're not even talking about Manafort. We're not even going to talk about, you know, uh, Roger Stone. Right. There's just there's not we're not going to talk about Jared uh, along with Saudi Arabia. But it makes me wonder just how vulnerable this administration was to foreign influence from a multitude of directions. Yeah, because this to me shows the toilet bowl that was really the Trump administration. It, it, vulnerable is a perfect word. Um, and, you know, to what extent this administration was willing and able to allow people to cash in, to cash in on enormous amounts of money coming in from foreign countries in order to sell access. It is it is the ultimate in swampish behavior. Um, you know, it seems as if almost every one of these lackeys around Trump had his own country that he was servicing and making a mint off of and trying to represent and lobby within our government. Of course, none of them filed the registration. You would have to ask why, by the way, why not? Um, Rudy ought to take notice here in particular. You mentioned Rudy because this is the same crime that he's now under investigation for and has been under investigation for in the SDNY. They may have other stuff they're looking at, but we know for sure they got their search warrant based on a FARA violation, based on the possibility, the probable cause. We, we know they proved that, that Rudy was doing a similar kind of lobbying on behalf of Ukraine. So um, if I'm Rudy, I'm taking notice that, okay, they're charging this stuff. They just put cuffs on Barrack and Grimes for this kind of thing. Um, we don't know whether Rudy had the same arrangement with Ukraine as Barrack had with UAE, but if it crossed that line, you know, he's got real reason to worry now. So um, we'll see where this goes, but, but you're right. I mean, it's a perfect example why we have these laws and how compromised the last administration was. Yeah. You know, what's funny, and then I'm going to let it go, but this is such a significant new area that's being prosecuted yeah. on that when they were coming after me, you may recall that there was all of these allegations that I took like $400,000 in order to increase the amount of time that right. there was supposed to be between a uh, a meeting. And I forget if it was Ukrainian or, uh, or some other, some other country, it turned out it wasn't me. There was a lobbying oh, firm right. on K Street that ended up getting the money. But for some unknown reason, there was this disinformation campaign. And I bring this up, um, not tr to try to exonerate myself. I know what I did wrong. Yeah. And then I know what people had lied about me. The point that I'm trying to make is that there is no lying here as it relates to Barrett. You see, they have, as you rightfully stated, yep. they have the emails, they have the text, they're going to have the cooperation from others. And don't be shocked if Rudy contacted Tom, 
Let's not be shocked if there are half a million, probably, communications between Jared and Tom because for so long that they were almost inseparable, like my Riyadh story. Right. right? The fact that Tom Barrick is telling the senior advisor to the president, the son-in-law, the secretary of everything, that this individual can't come and sit in a banquet hall in order to watch a ceremony, right? Which, by the way, he ended up going anyway because his client, that is a member of the royal family of Saudi, right, had an extra ticket. He ended up going anyway. (laughs) All of these people now are going to be looking to save their own ass. And the only way to do that, and you know this better as a former prosecutor, is you got to go and you got to turn somebody in who's of a higher level than you. Problem is, Tom is at a pretty high level. So you don't have that many additional people that you can provide information on. And I think the most obvious one has to come back to Jared and Ivanka. We shall see. You are correct that prosecutors generally like to cooperate up, meaning you don't want a guy. It happens sometimes, but you generally don't want a guy up here who's giving you information about lower level players. You generally want the same level or up the chain. I I will sign on to that for sure. Ellie, appreciate the insight. We're going to be doing a whole lot more of these um, investigations (laughs) as this uh, unfolds because I truly believe that this is the most significant indictment so far that has come out of the DOJ. You're you're Rachel Maddow light, Michael. (laughs) That's a compliment to both of you. (laughs) And and I'm going to take it. I'm going to take it as that. Ellie, thank you so much for your time, my friend. Maya Culp is brought to you by Audio Up, Midas Touch, and LSJ Media. And it's written and produced by Jimmy Jelinek. Executive producers are Jared Gustat, Jimmy Jelinek, myself, Michael Cohen, and Phil Alberstadt. Our editor is Lisa Orkin. It may be a new day politically, but nowadays the landscape is more confusing than ever. Donald Trump may have lost the battle for the presidency, but in many ways, Trumpism is winning the war on the state and local level. Maya Culpa is here to help guide you through the wilderness and keep you informed. And let's face it, we all want Trump, Rudy, and the rest of these seditious traitors to see justice. And folks, it's coming. So stay tuned as I guide you through the twists and turns of the criminal process that will ultimately see them behind bars. Mea culpa. Nothing but the truth. 